It's Philosophy Talk. You know I love you, baby. I wouldn't leave you. It wasn't my fault. Are we responsible for things that aren't in our direct control? If someone dies on your watch, you don't give up. Who said we're giving up? We are for not taking responsibility for our actions. This document just shifts the blame. When it comes to big problems like climate change, don't we all contribute? If we blame individuals, isn't that just a distraction from holding corporations and governments responsible? You don't think I wish I could tell you that it was one bad guy to blame? It's not. We're all to blame. supposed to blame for big, complex, systemic problems? Our guest is Marion Smiley from Brandeis University, author of Moral Responsibility and the Boundaries of Community. Are we all to blame? It wasn't my fault, I swear to God! Coming up on Philosophy Talk. to blame for big problems like climate change. Isn't it time we held governments and corporations accountable? Or would that just let individuals off the hook? Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm Josh Landy. And I'm Ray Briggs. We're coming to you from our respective shelters in place via the studios of KALW San Francisco. Continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus, where Ray teaches philosophy and I direct the Philosophy and Literature Initiative. Today we're asking, are we all to blame? Well, I, mean, I think sometimes we're all to blame for climate change, for example. I mean, pretty much everyone uses cars and airplanes and electricity. Oh, look, I would go entirely solar if I could, but I can't. I have no control over the energy system. How can you blame me for something I didn't do? Well, but systems are made of individuals. As long as you're still on the grid, you're helping keep the system alive. Oh, come on. It's the government's fault that the roads are in terrible shape, and it's Amazon's fault that their workers are underpaid. It doesn't make sense to blame some poor schlub in the Amazon warehouse. Well, look, I, I'm not disagreeing that those are serious problems, and I'm certainly not blaming the poor schlub. I'm blaming CEOs, Congress people, maybe anyone who's ever word, used the word synergize at a board meeting. But those are individuals, not groups. And groups can't be morally responsible. Well, why not, Josh? I mean, groups make decisions. Congress passes laws. Corporations make policies. Courts issue verdicts. And sometimes, when something goes wrong, the group really should have known better. Isn't that enough to hold it responsible? Well, okay, you know, maybe that works for organized groups when they're like an official decision-making process. But what about, what about factory farms? Every time you eat a hamburger, like it or not, you're a part of a group that's causing a huge problem. But, but it's not like there's an official hamburger eaters caucus handing down policy decisions. There's nobody to blame except a bunch of burger eating individuals. Yeah, but which individuals? I mean, sure, sure. Condemn the CEO of McDonald's. But what about workers at their meat plant who are just trying to make a living? Well, there are other jobs out there. And if you're going to point the finger at individual meat eaters, why not blame vegetarians who give a pass to their meat-eating friends? I mean, where does it end? Well, maybe it doesn't end. Maybe we're all complicit in the crimes our society commits. Oh, no, that's going too far. What about Germans in the 1930s who risked their lives to rescue Jews from Nazis? Or what about American abolitionists in the 1800s who spoke out against slavery? They did everything they could to stop their societies from committing atrocities. How can you blame them? But what if they also benefited from those atrocities? Like, what if some of the abolitionists wore cotton? 
cotton that they could only afford because of slave labor. Look, even if that were true, what are you going to do? Punish everybody? Oh, oh, I'm not asking for people to be punished. I'm just saying we should strive to make things better. We should take responsibility by helping those who have been harmed by a society. Well, in just a bit, we'll be talking to Marianne Smiley from Brandeis University, the author of Moral Responsibility and the Boundaries of Community. We'll see what she thinks we should do in cases like climate change, where we all contribute. But we don't all contribute the same. Rich industrialized countries play the biggest role in global warming, but countries with a smaller carbon footprint suffer disproportionately. And in the past decade, environmental lawyers in the States have filed lawsuits against corporations and the government for their role in the problem. So we sent our roving philosophical reporter, Holly J. McDeed, to find out why these cases are really hard to win. She files this report. When Shimon Majumdar walks along the San Francisco shoreline with her daughter, she sees a world that's becoming increasingly uninhabitable. Every year, roughly 7 trillion tiny pieces of plastic flow into the San Francisco Bay. Plastic is a form of fossil fuel, and it takes a lot of energy to make. From its entire life cycle, from the extraction to the production of plastic to plastic degrading, you have emissions of greenhouse gases. Most plastic we put in recycling bins ends up in landfills because it's too expensive for cities to actually recycle it. From there, it often blows into the ocean or gets dumped there. This year, Majumdar filed a lawsuit with the environmental group Earth Island Institute against big plastic. The suit alleges that companies like Coca-Cola and Clorox are lying to consumers by telling them their products are recyclable. It's the same playbook that big oil used, that big tobacco used, very sophisticated narratives that really convince people that, you know, this is a problem of, because of individuals, not because of the product. It's easy to blame individuals for issues as big as plastic waste and climate change. The level of worry increased significantly as the research became more and more dire. Dave Owen, an environmental law professor at the University of California, Hastings, says in the 2000s, lawyers increasingly began to turn to the courts to force institutions to take responsibility for this crisis. Global warming was also deeply political, even as new research made it clear humans were to blame. This footage is from a Republican presidential debate in 2007. Yes or no for you. Do you believe that global climate change is a serious threat and caused by human activity? Well, do you want to give me a minute to answer that? No, I don't. I well, then I'm not going to answer it. If this issue wasn't going to be tackled by lawmakers on their own, lawyers needed to force them to respond. But then and now, these cases are hard to win. Owen says when it comes to lawsuits filed against fossil fuel companies, the rulings from judges have gone something like this. This is too big, too political, too standardless for us as judges to touch. Really what you are doing here is seeking a political fix, and that should be sought through the elected branches of government rather than through the courts. One example of that is Juliana versus United States. That's the case where 21 young people sued the federal government. They argue the White House has encouraged the production of fossil fuels, thus infringing on their right to a sustainable planet. We're here on very basic grounds that every single citizen has fundamental inalienable rights to natural resources necessary for life. In early 2020, a federal appeals court issued a ruling in response to Juliana, and the judges were sympathetic to the argument the plaintiffs were making. One judge wrote, In the mid-1960s, a popular song warned that we were on the eve of destruction. Tell me, oh, the 
plaintiffs in this case have presented compelling evidence that climate change has brought that eve nearer. The judge continues. Failure to change existing policy may hasten an environmental apocalypse. But then the judge concludes. Such relief is beyond our constitutional power. Rather, the plaintiff's impressive case for redress must be presented to the political branches of government. Philip Gregory, an attorney in the Juliana case, disagrees. He says the courts have taken on big issues before, like Brown versus Board of Education, where the Supreme Court ordered schools to desegregate. It wasn't like the president said, oh, we need to deal with segregation. It was the courts who were out front, and it was the kids in Brown and similar cases that really forced the courts to address these issues. So environmental lawyers like him keep fighting. Justice moves slowly, but politics seems to move even slower. And when it comes to the climate crisis, we're running out of time and people to blame. We're on the eve of destruction. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Holly J. McDeed. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.